Good afternoon from the Algarve. Today I'm going to talk about a fascinating book, turned down, as all good books are, by lots of publishers. This one was turned down by 11 publishers. And it was only published because Michael Young, who wrote it, met a friend on a beach in Wales. And the book was published by Thames and Hudson, which have built up quite an enviable reputation for art books on both sides of the Atlantic. But this wasn't an art book. It was a book of sociology or a book of uh, talking about the structure of society in Britain. And um, it was only published, as I say, because, because uh, it was friendship, really, between the two guys. But like all good stories, it had a happy ending because the book sold hundreds of thousands of copies in 1958, which was when it was published. However... It was purportedly written by a guy called Michael Young, the same name as the, as the uh, real author of the book, in the year 2034. And he uses a very pompous narrator to make his case, but actually it's a satire because he's attacking the point of view, or implicitly attacking the point of view that the narrator provides. And the book is called The Rise of the Meritocracy by Michael Young. The apparent argument of the book is that rewards and status in society should not be decided by birth or by a plutocracy of wealth, but by individual merit. Now, who could argue with that? That sounds almost a platitude, doesn't it? And equality of opportunity depended on the massive growth, as he points out, of educational systems, one of the most important trends of the 20th century everywhere in the world. And the idea of meritocracy has become particularly attractive because of the role assigned to education. And merit is defined in the book as IQ plus effort. Now, who could really object to aristocracy or wealth being replaced by merit as the reason that people get ahead and are successful? Well, Michael Young could. Michael Young, I should explain, is my kind of socialist, very much like, uh, or was, my kind of socialist, dead now. Um, like, like Orwell, he was a socialist and actually quite a left-wing socialist as well. But... He appeals to the anarchist and uh, libertarian in me very much. And although I don't agree with socialism, I do agree with his book. Anyway, the counter-argument, which he advances rather subtly uh, by exaggerating the, the uh, position of the narrator and also by some, um, some arguments which are put forward in the book but scoffed at by the narrator... His counter-argument was that a meritocracy could become very unattractive because the people at the top believed that they deserved their success and would become arrogant and ruthless and look down on ordinary people. And he says in the book, or rather in an introduction to the book, later published, trying to explain what he was doing, because a lot of people never really understood what he was trying to do. It was a bit too subtle for many people. So he shoved in, 20 years later, a preface, 
Um, and he said, I wanted to show how overweening a meritocracy could be, and indeed, people generally who thought they belonged to it. How sad and fragile a meritocratic society could be if the rich and powerful were encouraged by the general culture to believe that they fully deserved all they had. How arrogant they could become. And if they were convinced it was all for the good, common good, how ruthless in pursuing their own advantage. A good society, this is a socialist in Michael Young speaking, a good society should provide sinew for revolt as well as for power. And he also comments, which I think is a, a very a very good comment that, that uh, actually gets ignored very largely today. He says, being a member of the Lucky Sperm Club, in other words, people who just happen to be born with brains, confers no moral right to advantage. What one is born with or without is not of one's doing. He also advanced another line of argument, which was a meritocracy could only exist in any full form if there was such a narrowing down of values that people could be put into rank order of worth. And that happens in the book because everything becomes a slave of IQ. And people's IQ was measured at very, very stage in, in, the, in the society, which he conjures up in the book, was measured at all kinds of ages. So if people suddenly developed their IQ, that it wasn't too late. But it was IQ and really as a proxy for educational achievement almost a wet dream for people, the sort of people who do very well in examinations, like me, actually. <laughs> um, and a, a, a wet dream for people also who climb through the, uh, through the educational system and might end up as, as dons or professors or whatever. Uh, that was the measure of worth. And it was a narrowing down to one particular criterion, which was another objection that Michael Young had. And he slips in something into the book called the Chelsea Manifesto, which allegedly was written in, I think, 2008. Of course, it was never written anywhere apart from in this book. But it was a, it was a manifesto of what one might think of as people on the liberal left uh, today. And the Chelsea Manifesto stated, were we to evaluate people not only according to their intelligence and their education, their occupation and their power, but according to their kindliness and their courage, their imagination and sensitivity, their sympathy and generosity. There could be no classes, because who would be able to argue that the scientist was superior to the porter with admirable qualities as a father, to the, the civil servant was superior, uh, civil servant with unusual skill at gaining prizes was superior to the lorry driver with unusual skill at growing roses. So <laughs> he was really trying to have it both ways, trying to argue that a meritocracy actually wasn't as good as it looked. And he had a final objection, which was that the, the, if a meritocracy took over, if everything was decided by power was allocated by people who actually were the most intelligent or allegedly intelligent based on IQ, then what would happen to the less meritocratic, the less favoured in society? The people that we used to call the working classes. They would have nobody to speak up for them, as all the intelligent people would have been co-opted to the top of society. In other words, the bright young man or boy or girl from the working classes would get a scholarship, 
would be um, uh, celebrated because they did very well in exams and because they had a very high IQ would rise through society guided by the criteria criterion that if you had a high IQ you should get a good job and you should be placed at the top of society whether in business or more likely in the bureaucracy or civil service. Well, it's a fascinating argument. And as I say, it was written in 1958. But here we are in 2020, and I'd like to ask two questions. The first question is, what has happened? Was this vision of Michael Young's society in the year 2034 something that's already happened, or is it on the way to happening? And the second question I'd like to discuss is what should happen? Well, what has happened? As a rather awful vision of meritocracy has, has the rather awful vision of meritocracy presented in the book by Michael Young come to pass? Now, what's the answer? Well, of course, you know the answer. The answer is, to some degree. <laughs> On the one hand, there are strong elements of meritocracy in our societies around the world, especially in the West. It's far easier today for a bright young person from the middle classes, even to someone like myself from the lower middle classes, and perhaps even to people from the working classes, to become very successful. And to some degree, uh, that obviously has happened. There is a kind of meritocracy which, as Young foresaw, has become smug, selfish, blinkered, and just as ruthless at any, as any other ruling class. And those are the people not only who are successful in business, but particularly the people who are successful in the public sector and in the media. And those in the bottom half of society have largely lost their tribunes. Someone like um, Bevan, Anaren Bevan, who actually was a successful trade union organiser and rose to be a cabinet minister under Clement Attlee, was from the working class. But that sort of person nowadays would have been co-opted into this awful meritocracy and would not speak for those in the bottom third of society. And the idea that most justifies an unequal distribution of wealth has become one of the dominant, if largely unspoken, ideologies of our time. So yes, we do live more in a meritocracy in 2020 than in 1958. But on the other hand, consider this. True meritocracy is impossible. Children with intelligent and well-educated parents will always have a huge advantage, and that's happened very much today. The socialists thought that by destroying the grammar schools in Britain and putting in um, comprehensive schools rather than the rather uh, terrible uh, secondary moderns, which were obviously slated for failure, the people who went to them, um, all that's happened is that people who are the wealthier ones and often the brighter ones in society, even socialists, even socialist MPs like Diane Abbott, send their children to private schools. And so the attempt to get rid of uh, a stratification which was a social stratification 
with grammar schools and people going to grammar schools becoming upwardly mobile has not been successful in stopping an unfair advantage in education to people who um, have more money or, and indeed are powerful in society anyway. So paradoxically, the pursuit of equality in educational opportunity has led to its exact opposite, at least in Britain, where indeed you have a situation where there is greater inequality of opportunity than there was back in 1958. And a homogeneous and smug elite has to some extent supported and in other respects subverted, has been subverted by a change that Michael Young did not foresee, which was the rise of identity politics. The sort of people who the working classes in Britain have no time for, but the sort of people who are in power in the media, in the Labour Party, and in the Liberal Democratic Party in Britain, people who basically identify with what one might call the sort of leftist politics of identity. So people who are very green, people who are very much into women's rights, people who are very much into gay rights, and who believe that the most important dividing lines in society are ideological rather than class-based. On the other hand, there's also the mediating influence of the market and, oddly, of egalitarian ideals, which have supported multiple sources of wealth and influence. The most wonderful thing about capitalism, or as I prefer to call it, a free market economy, is actually that it gives opportunities to anyone who got an edge in anything. The Beatles, because they could sing, the Rolling Stones, because they couldn't. And it's, that, it's that sort of thing. You know, anyone who can... Um, excel in any area, in the arts, in writing outrageous books, in pornography. Anyone who's got a talent which captures the public imagination can actually make a lot of money in a market-based society. And that would be completely impossible in a society where rank was determined by IQ. The randomness involved in capitalism is a great leveller because it makes it possible for anybody to succeed if they are seen to have talent that other people want to buy or they want to pay for their goods. And it is that random influence in capitalism where there is a lot of mobility, upward and downward, because even people who have wealth, if they don't actually have talent, are going to lose it sooner or later because they're going to make rotten investments or they're going to squander it on, on trivial and materialistic things. Also, the possibilities of revolt by the underclass have been demonstrated by populism and in Britain by Brexit. The underclass may be saved in terms of having people to speak, to speak for them by not so much by people who are rising up through the working class as used to be the case in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, but by deviant members of the overclass. Whether people of very high IQ, such as Boris Johnson in Britain, or rather low IQ, such as the President of the United States. Above all, we have a battle between the market and business on the one hand, 
and the political, administrative, media, meritocratic complex. That's a big mouthful, isn't it? I've put hyphens between all of those. Political, administrative, media, meritocratic complex, like the industrial... Um, uh, what, was, what was Eisenhower's phrase? The industrial defence complex, the industrial capitalist complex. Anyway, it's a new complex. And it's created a patchwork quilt of niches and opportunities where there is no single criterion such as IQ that can possibly uh, hold sway. Okay. Finally, a market-based economy mediated by entrepreneurs and small businesses of all kinds has strong elements of randomness, unpredictability, risk, serendipity and luck. There are constant surprises, unforeseen opportunities and vulnerabilities created by the intersections of new knowledge, technology, business and ingenuity and creativity of all kinds. A dynamic and complex business world allows the constant creation of new products and market segments where all kinds of skill and improvisation can lead to personal fulfilment and maybe even to a future. So what's happened? That dreadful vision that Michael Young had has, has not really happened, but to some extent it's happened in the administrative complex, um, which is heavily influenced by the media, a collection of what one might think of a contradiction, very wealthy people who claim to be very left-wing. So what should happen? I think Michael Young successfully satirised meritocracy, and particularly meritocracy based on IQ and education. So I'm inclined to say that the business world, very broadly defined, and a pluralistic society, is the ideal society. Now, I'm not arguing that we have a perfect society. I'm not arguing that, that actually this market-based economy is dominant because it's an unfortunate fact that against that, there is this group of people who are very powerful in society, quite homogeneous in their views and their identity, who are on the left, the Democratic Party being taken over by people who are ideological, which I never thought would happen in America, and the Labour Party being taken over by people who are not from the working class, but from the middle classes. Indeed, the Labour Party was always largely middle class, but at least it had a leavening of, of working class people, which you just don't get these days. And pursuing an ideological identity politics sort of thing. So I would go further and say that if, say that we would be better off if the huge public sector the largely parasitic growth of which seems hard or impossible to root out. The sector which most closely approximates to meritocracy without, without a focus on results desired by individuals, the non-consumer, non-market sector, should be, in my ideal world, abolished. In the interest of creating greater multifaceted opportunity for all kinds of creative talent, as well as by multiplying real wealth. So what's my conclusion? What do I say to Michael Young? Into the grave. I conclude meritocracy is a snare and a delusion. 
Michael Young said this from a socialist perspective. I say it from an ultra and entrepreneurial one. A true market-based society is the only way to liberate and deploy the limitless and infinitely varied creativity of all the people in society. Talent and ability to contribute to society cannot be reduced to IQ or educational qualifications. And a classless society, in my view, is one composed of individuals and not classes, where success is measured by personal fulfilment and being demonstrably useful to other people, whether they be family, friends or strangers. Not a society which worships, as I'm afraid most societies seem to worship, and this may be an eradicable part of human nature, people who are wealthy or famous, but a society that values contribution, which is valued by other people, which is the best way in which that's expressed is through the market, people buying products, but there are other ways in which it can be expressed in terms of approval for people who do what one might perhaps call rather um, naively perhaps good, people who do some kind of good in society. So if you want to test your mental powers and have some intellectual fun along the way, read this book. It's a great book. Unfortunately, it's out of print at the moment and I had to pay about 20 quid to get hold of my copy of this, um, a used copy. This is called The Rise of the Meritocracy by Michael Young. So do, do read it. Realise it's a satire and don't take it at face value. And I think if you're at all interested in what makes society tick, you will very much enjoy thinking about this and you'll very much enjoy reading the book. And I'm not being paid by publishers or anyone else. I just think it's a great book and I recommend that you read it. Thank you.